When I came back from London um, a couple months ago, everybody inevitably asked me, what was the neatest thing that you saw? Or what was the neatest thing that you did? And while uh, I, I did do a lot of ministry, uh, I have a lot of ministry opportunities and, and do a lot of really, really neat ministry work with the churches we partnered with there, that's not what anybody means. Everybody wants to hear about Big Ben and Buckingham Palace, right? So I know what they mean. And so uh, as people ask me, there were, there, were two in, there were two answers that I always gave. And the first was something called steak pie, all right? And steak pie is exactly what it sounds like. It's like an apple pie, but instead of cooked apples, you have steak and gravy inside of a pie. Y'all, I thought we were the greatest country on earth. Why? why do we, we didn't need to declare independence from that. I mean, that is incredible. And so I started to figure out that uh, all the restaurants in London, they have their menus posted outside the door. And so I started to find the places that had steak pies and developed a real problem. But as far as an actual tourist type site, the neatest thing that I saw was this statue of Winston Churchill. And that statue, it perfectly captures Churchill as a man who stepped into a historical moment. You can stand at that statue and you can kind of just feel his bulldog tenacity as he stood against Adolf Hitler and fascism in uh, the Blitz of 1940 and 1941. And the neat thing about that statue, you can't tell it from the picture, but if you're standing behind the statue looking the way Churchill is looking, you're looking right at Parliament. So this statue is at the crosswalk that Churchill would have used as he came from his residence at prime, as prime minister at 10 Downing Street and walked across the road to go to Parliament to give those speeches about how we will never surrender. I'm telling you, I get fired up just talking about it. Like, it makes me just want to punch a Nazi, which I think is probably a, a good impulse, right? Because I, I love, I love the, the leadership and the boldness of Winston Churchill as, as a man and how he really did uh, alter the course of history at a critical moment as he stood against fascism. But what many of us really don't recognize about Winston Churchill is that for years, Winston Churchill was a failure. In the 1930s, Winston Churchill was out of work, he was out of office, basically unelectable in British politics. His life and his career were over. He would spend years haunted by what he called the black dog of depression developed a really serious drinking problem that he never actually got over. And Churchill had, had been hit by a car in New York in December of 1930. He had a really bad bacterial infection that he caught in Germany. And Churchill actually had spent time in a British rest home. His life seemed like it was over, but somehow, against all odds, Churchill got a second chance. And we love that story about people who get their second chance, don't we? I mean, it's in countless movies. I mean, I watched a movie last night where the protagonist got his second chance in life. And we love to see that story. We love to see it in other people. Like, you know somebody maybe that has struggled with addiction, and then they overcome that, and they get a new lease on life. We love to see that story. Because I think that deep down, a lot of us feel that need in ourselves for a second chance. I wonder today how many of you have come into church hoping that this is the first day of your new start. Maybe you have come into this place today carrying the burdens of your failure, dealing with the guilt of your past, the foolishness of bad decisions, and you wonder inside, can I have a new start? 
Can I start over? Can I have a second chance? The passage we're going to read today is about a man who needs a second chance. A man who's blown it big time. A man who's blown it worse than any of y'all did this week. Probably, anyway. I really don't, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know what y'all did this week. I don't know what y'all been up to. The man who does get a second chance. Let's read this together in John chapter number 21. Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, nope. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it out. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 150 of them. And all there were, though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. The last time we saw Simon Peter, 
He was running in tears trying to get away from Jesus. That night, Jesus had been arrested. He had been betrayed by one of his own disciples. He had been led away to a mockery of a trial held in what was really a kangaroo court. And Peter, the outspoken disciple, Peter, the leader of the twelve, Peter, the one who earlier that night had vociferously defended his own courage, said, Lord, I will go with you to death. Peter followed Jesus from a distance. And while Jesus was on trial for his life, Peter sat outside warming himself by a fire. And Peter, who had said, I'm ready to go to prison, I'm ready to go to my own cross. Well, when a little servant girl comes up and says, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Peter said, no speaking English. I have no idea what you're talking about. And it happened the second time. No, you are one of his disciples. I don't know what you're saying. And it happened a third time. And Jesus says, or Peter says, no, I don't know him. And you know, I'm sure, from the story of the Bible that Peter cursed when he said that. Now, that doesn't mean Peter cussed. That's what y'all do when you get mad. Peter didn't cuss. Peter actually cursed. He brought down a curse on himself. Let me be damned. I'll be damned if I know him. That's what Peter said. And as soon as Peter said that, the rooster crowed three times. And then the Bible says that in that moment, Peter locked eyes with Jesus. And Peter knew how bad he had failed. And he knew that Jesus knew how bad he had failed. And Peter ran away weeping. His heart shattered in a million pieces. His self-confidence destroyed. His mind hazy with confusion. What am I going to do now? That was Friday morning. But everything changed on Sunday morning. Because the Savior who was tried on Friday morning, crucified at 9 a.m. and dead by 3 p.m., placed in a borrowed tomb before dark, that Savior woke up with the sun on that first Easter morning. And that Savior had a message to give to his followers saying, you go tell the disciples and Peter, Mark 16, 7, that I have something more for them. And so Peter and John run to the tomb. They find that the tomb is empty. And they think, Jesus is not here. What is happening? And that Sunday night, Jesus appeared to the disciples. And he proved to them, as as much as anybody could prove to anybody else, that he was as alive as they were alive. Of course, Thomas wasn't there because some people lay out of church on Sunday nights, you know. And Thomas, the disciple, wasn't there. And Thomas says, unless I see him with my eyes, unless my hands touch the the holes in his hands from the nails of the cross, I will not believe. And Jesus shows up the next Sunday night. And he appears to Thomas. Thomas falls down and worships him and says, my Lord and my God. But for Peter, the future is still unclear. He's still got the past, his denial of Jesus his failure and his fear hanging over his head. And he's still got to wrestle with what does it mean that Jesus is alive. He died, we know that, but he rose again, we know that too. What do you do with all of this information? And so it's all still really hazy, it's really unclear. Peter just doesn't know, just doesn't know. But the one thing Peter does know is fishing. So Peter says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go fish. And that's what he does in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to go fish. Remember that this was the life that Jesus had called Simon Peter out of. Peter had walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the fishermen, brothers, tending their nets. And he said to them, come follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And for, for Peter, fishing was like putting on an old pair of sweatpants. You got those old sweatpants too, don't you? 
full of holes, all the elastic gave out 15 years ago, but they just fit. For Peter, fishing fit. It made sense. It was clear. It was manageable. Except this night, the work that Peter knew, it didn't work for him, did it? They fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. Seems like we've heard this story before, haven't we? They fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. And after a frustrating night of fishing, they hear a voice from the shore. Children, did you catch anything? Kids, how'd it go out there last night? That voice sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Children, do you have any meat? The King James says, and they say, no. Why don't you cast your nets on the right side of the boat? And they do. And they begin to pull in a, a drought of fish that is so massive that their muscles strain and their backs ache and they can't even get it on board. And John says, that's the disciple whom Jesus loves, John writing this, John says to Peter, Peter, you know that's Jesus, right? We have seen this story before. And so the Bible says that Peter, who had been stripped down for work, and I know it's weird that Peter's naked fishing. It's only weird to y'all because you've never done it. Um, <laughs> no, the reason, the reason Peter had taken off his outer garment, it actually makes sense if you think about it. Peter's not just a skeezy weirdo. Peter, everybody in that day wore robes, right? But they're fishing with nets, there's ropes going everywhere, and the last thing you wanted to do was to get your rope and your robe mixed together because then you would end up on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And so what do they do? They just stripped down basically the draws and they just fished. But when he sees Jesus, he gets dressed, throws his clothes on, splash, he throws himself, just kind of haphazardly cannonballs into the Sea of Galilee and he swims 100 yards, 300 feet to shore. And he gets there. And he finds that Jesus has already cooked fish. Jesus didn't need the fish that they had. Jesus didn't do that because he needed it. He did it because they needed it. Now Jesus has, has, has cooked fish and bread for breakfast. And I'm just going to pass over the fact that Jesus eats fish for breakfast. But Jesus did. But the real, perhaps important truth presented in this scene that's being set is when the Bible says that this happened over a charcoal fire in verse number 9. It's a charcoal fire. Why does John give us that detail? Well, if you would mosey on back to John chapter number 18, and verse number 18, John tells you what kind of fire it was that Peter was warming himself beside when he denied Jesus. It was a charcoal fire. And y'all know, right, that charcoal has a distinctive smell. Somebody in your neighborhood lights up their grill, and you're going to want hamburgers for a week. It has an aroma that brings back memories of cookouts and brings back memories of food. Jesus is tapping into Peter's olfactory gland to take him back to the night that he betrayed him. And so now the stage has been set with what Peter is smelling and what Peter is remembering and they can get down to business to talk about Peter's brand new start. And for Peter to have a brand new start, Peter is going to have to get really honest. Peter is going to have to get really honest. And I would suggest to you today that if you are going to have a new start this morning, if you have come into this place feeling like a failure, if you're going to have a new start, you're going to have to get honest. You're going to have to get honest. 
Peter knowing that he's failed Jesus. Peter knowing that Jesus knows that he's failed Jesus. Peter knowing that everybody else knows that he's failed Jesus. Sits down to eat breakfast with Jesus. And Jesus begins the conversation in verse number 15. And don't you hate these kind of conversations? It doesn't matter which side of this conversation you're on. Whether you work in HR or whether you're being summoned into the boss's office. There's nothing good about this, but imagine sitting across from Jesus. Imagine it's Jesus that you've disappointed. And Jesus asks him, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, a lot of preachers and a lot of Bible scholars and New Testament writers, they will spill a lot of ink and take up a lot of time talking about the interplay and the usage of the word love because Jesus and Peter are throwing different words for love around here in the Greek in John chapter number 21. And while that is important, I think it's actually more important. The most important word is not the word love. The most important word to figuring out what's going on is the word these. Do you love me more than, well, these what? These what? Some people have said that the these refers to the fish. And maybe. Peter was a fisherman, right? And Peter, after a failure, has reverted back to his old life. He slid back into what he knows. He slid back into what's comfortable for him. But then as he tries to slide back into the life Jesus called him out of, he finds out that he can't go back to the life that Jesus called him out of. By the way, neither can you. If Jesus has ever interrupted the course of your life and pulled you out of your old life and given you a new one, you'll never be able to go back to the life Jesus brought you out of. Not really. You'll never be able to be comfortable being what you used to be and doing what you used to do. Somebody has very wisely said about the study of history that the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. And that's very true if you're trying to understand the past, but it's also true about your past if you are a child of God. That is a foreign country back there, and you will never really be able to go back. But how often is it that you and I do try to go back? Could it be today that maybe the reason you are feeling like a failure spiritually, the reason that you have sinned, the reason you did give in to temptation, is because you were trying to go back to what you left when you followed Jesus? Maybe there was some stress in your life, some pressure, and you said, I know exactly how to make the pain disappear, and you went back. Maybe there was disappointment. Maybe there was frustration in where Jesus was leading you. And you said, I'll just go back. Maybe these refer to the fish. But maybe these refer to the disciples. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you love these other guys who Peter did love? I mean, these are, you know, they've been following Jesus on a common mission and a common task for three years. These are his work buddies. These are, and you know, men don't really have real friends. We just have guys we work with, right? And then we quit that job and go to a new job. Then we've got new friends. We just have work buddies. That's all it is because men are just socially frustrated creatures. And so, these are Peter's friends, the closest people to Peter's in his life, probably apart from his family. Do you love me more than you love them? Why? Because relationships are important, aren't they? And a lot of times we fall into sin because relationships with people we love are more important than our relationship with Jesus who loves us. Have you ever done anything stupid because you wanted to impress somebody? Yeah, me neither. I mean, don't especially those of you that maybe are younger than I am and you're just kind of starting out in adulthood, understand me today. It's not the people that you don't like that are going to get you in trouble. It's the people that you do like. The people that like you 
and the people you want to like you. We all need affirmation. We all want people to be be happy with us. And we all want to hear those positive words of, man, you're really, really cool. But sometimes that makes us do really stupid things. Do you love me more than these? Maybe that's the question you need to answer today. Do you love Jesus more than any relationship that is pulling you away from? But I still don't think that's what Jesus meant. Those are good questions, but I don't think they are the question. Do you love me more than these? I think what Jesus is asking him is, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? And I say that because of what Peter had boasted about in Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 33. Do you remember the Last Supper? What did Peter say? Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Lord, the rest of these losers, Jesus, you know them just like I do. You know what they're capable of, and it's not much, is it, Lord? Lord, I'm, look at them. Lord, they may run away. They may fail. Their faith in you might fall apart. Jesus, I got you. Trust me, Lord. Trust me, Lord, I got you. Those guys, I don't even know if they're saved. And if they are saved, I know they're not sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. But, Lord, look at me. (laughs) Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. Prison and death, Lord, I'm ready. Peter, do you love me more than they love me? What's Jesus doing? He's trying to get Peter to be honest. You can have a new start this morning, but it will not happen until you become honest. The Bible says in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word I want you to key in on this morning is the word confess. Because the word confess means to say the same thing as. If you are really going to repent and start over and confess your sins, at some point you will have to agree with God about who you are. You will have to agree with God about what you've done. You will have to see yourself and your failures from God's perspective. Now, we're terrible at that because we hate seeing ourselves as we really are, don't we? Because we really, really like to do every single thing that we can to justify or excuse or cast blame or pass the buck and say, well, you know, I shouldn't have done this, but it's because of this other thing, right? My kids are great at this. Did you bite your brother? He started it. Did you slap that other kid at the play place at McDonald's? Well, he shouldn't have done what he did. He touched my shoe. It's funny, but we never grow out of it, do do we? I know I shouldn't have raised my voice and lost my temper, but you should have heard what she said to me first. You know what that is? That's a failure to be honest about our sins. But if we're really going to start over, we have to confess and be honest. And could it be that right now, maybe the reason God is allowing you to see so many repeated failures and to feel the weight and the heaviness and the sinfulness of your sin is because he's trying to bring you to the place where you can be honest. Y'all hear me today. Churches like ours in the South are great places for us to hide from our sin because we can hide our sin under our church clothes, under our veneer of niceness, under our religious morals, and we think we never have to look at ourselves the way we are. But if you're really going to start fresh with Jesus, you're going to have to get really, really honest.
Proverbs 28, 13 says that whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. You're going to have to get honest. But if you're going to start fresh with Jesus this morning, you're also going to have to give up your plans. The conversation shifts. In verse number 18, as Jesus moves from talking about the past to talking about the future. Peter, when you were young, dude, you dressed yourself and walked wherever you wanted. You had freedom to make your own choices, to live life on your own terms. But Peter, when you get old, you're going to lose some of that autonomy. And we know that happens with age, doesn't it? Some of you have had the difficulty of taking your parents' driver's license. And you know how difficult that is because there's a sense of losing their freedom. And what Jesus is keying in on here is Peter needing, needing to lose his freedom. And not the kind of freedom we love as Americans. We're not talking about screaming eagles and hot dogs on the grill. We're talking about the freedom to craft our future after our own desires. The freedom to be what we want to be, to do what we want to do. The freedom to shape our own future. Peter, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, if you're really going to start over, you're going to have to give up your freedom. You do realize today how Peter had used his freedom, right? G- Peter, Peter had used his freedom to interrupt Jesus when he thought Jesus was wrong. Peter had used his freedom to step on other people and put them down to make himself feel better about Peter. Peter had used his freedom to protect himself, to deny Jesus when he felt like he was threatened. Peter's freedom was a reckless freedom. And he needed to be delivered from that freedom because that freedom would have destroyed him. That freedom was not freedom. That freedom was bondage. And he needed to turn it over to Jesus and to say, Jesus, my future is in your hands. You see today, friends, repentance, true repentance, is not just about feeling sorry for your past. But true repentance is about receiving a new future from Jesus. It's not just about saying, I feel bad for what I've done. I really feel bad because I got busted doing what I did. But true repentance comes to Jesus and it says, Lord, I know that my future is better off in your hands than it is in my hands. And that is what Peter is being called to today. And if you are going to start fresh with Jesus, then might I suggest to you today that you need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that if the future is in my hands, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to hurt other people and I'm going to torpedo my life. And Lord, my future is better off in your hands than it is in my hands. That's what Peter is being called to here. Because Jesus is not really just predicting these general things about old age. About the loss of cognitive function or the loss of mental faculties. Right? He's predicting specifically the way Peter would die. And we know how Peter died. Peter was crucified around 64 AD under the reign of terror of Caesar Nero. But when Peter was crucified... He told his executioners that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to die like my Savior. That is a man who has given up his freedom. The problem with a lot of us is that we still have a lot of freedom left, don't we? The problem with a lot of us is that Jesus is still saving us from us. That's what Jesus has been after from the very beginning with Peter. Peter If you follow me, I will make you 
into something new. You are Simon, but you will be Peter. If any man will come after me, Mark 8 and Matthew 16, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you see what Jesus has been saying all along? That if we really follow him, we really follow him, we're going to start fresh with him, then we're going to have to quit fighting with him over our future. But I would submit to you finally this morning that a new start for Peter involved going forward. John chapter 21 brings you back to where it all began for Peter. John says they're at the Sea of Tiberias. That's just a Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. They're in the place where it all started. Mark chapter 1, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, mending their nets, and he said to them, follow me. They're back where it all started. They're back where Jesus had performed the miraculous catch of fish after Peter had spent all night and caught nothing. And Peter falls down among that catch and he says, Depart from me for I am a sinful man. They're back to where it all began with Peter. But this time it's different. This time it's different. Because now Peter's failure is between him and Jesus. And what is Jesus going to say to him? What is his final instruction to Peter? What does he say to him? Verse number 19. After telling him what kind of death he would die to glorify God, he said to Peter what? Follow me. Now it makes sense when Peter's a diamond in the rough three years earlier. It makes sense when Jesus sees all of that unlimited raw potential. It makes sense when he's somebody that can be mined and polished and chiseled and set on display. But now Peter's blown it. Now Peter has failed. Now Peter has messed up so bad that surely Jesus wouldn't have a part to play for him, right? Jesus says, Peter, follow me. The command is what it always was. Peter, get up from where you are. And Peter, let's move forward. Some of y'all didn't come to church this morning, I can already tell. In spite of his failure, in spite of how disappointed he was with himself, in spite of how much he realized that he had blown it, the command to him was still, Peter, get up right where you are and come after me. And can I submit to you this morning that no matter what you've carried into this place with you, that no matter what mistake you've carried into church today, and no matter what kind of failure you've brought, brought into this place with you today, even if you've come with a dunk truck load of your own disappointment and your own failures, Jesus' command to you is still the same as it ever was. Follow me. Get up out of your disappointment. Get up out of your failure and come after me. I still have a part to play with you, and I still have something for you to do. Jesus says, follow me. Well, Brother Jesse, you don't know how bad I've blown it. No, I don't. But he does. What does Jesus, I'm about to preach now. What does Jesus, or what does Peter say to Jesus? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know. And he did know. That's the whole problem, is that Jesus knew. The whole problem was that Peter 
was vulnerable and open. The whole problem is that Jesus knew the undercurrent that would pull Peter away, the riptide that would drown him. He knew it before Peter did it. Peter, before this night is over, you will deny me and the rooster will crow three times. No, Lord, not me. It'll never happen. Jesus knew. But even though Jesus knew, where is Jesus in this text? He's sitting down there having breakfast with the one that he knew. Why? Because the one who knew him best was still the one that loved him most. And that is the hope that we have in our Savior today, the one who knows us and our failures better than we know our failures. That Savior is still the one who loves us best. Why? Because his grace is greater than our sin. Say, Brother Jesse, you don't realize how bad I failed. No, I don't. But I want to tell you, my Savior will still get down by the seashore with you and he'll still have breakfast with you. And even if you couldn't fellowship with him over your coffee this morning, you can still come pour your heart out in this altar and I promise he'll go to lunch with you. Yes, sir. Lord, you know. Yes, I do, Peter, and look where I'm at. Peter, follow me. Peter, follow me. Our God. Well, let me back up. As a pastor, there are times, of course, when I've been involved in hiring people for ministry positions. Some of y'all have two different search committees, different things. One thing you don't do is you don't say, tell me about your biggest failure. You know what? You said one time you didn't even know Jesus and cussed about it a little bit. You're hired. That's what Jesus does, isn't it? Now, when does he do that? He says, Peter, I'm going to put my flock in your care. Feed my sheep. Take responsibility and authority over my people as their shepherd. No, Jesus, here's what you do. Peter fails, and he needs to know he's failed. So, Lord, in six months, we'll let him hand out bulletins. And a year after that, we'll let him take up the offer. We ain't going to let him count the money, but we'll let him take up the offer. And then maybe, maybe one day, we'll let him come spray Roundup at the church work day. The only way this could ever make any sense, Peter, in the middle of your biggest failure, the only way it could ever make sense if Jesus really does give people better than they deserve. And y'all, that's exactly what God's grace means, that he gives us better than we deserve. That all we can bring him are our failures. All we can bring him are our mistakes. All we can bring him are our limitations. And the Lord says, here, why don't you go and just run everything for me? Feed my sheep, Peter. That makes no sense unless he really is a God of grace. And my Bible tells me that he really is a God of grace. That after Moses spent 40 years on the run from his past, God shows up in a burning bush and says, Moses, you turn right back around and you go to Egypt, and you tell Pharaoh that my people need to be free so they can worship me. My Bible tells me that Samson had his luxurious hair cut off. And yet, as his hair grew back, he stood at that Philistine party with his eyes plucked from his head, but in his darkness and in his heart, he prayed and he said, Lord, give me strength one more time. And the Bible says that after Samson's greatest failure, he experienced his greatest victory in death. 
and over and over and over again, you find the truth of the Word of God that our limitations in no way eclipse God's grace, that our failures in no way undercut His power, that our disappointments in no way undermine His great plans for us because His grace is greater than our sin. So what do you do today? If that's you, what do you do? You follow Jesus. You start right where you are and you follow Jesus and you move forward and you say, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll follow. Lord, I'll follow and Peter did. Not perfectly. He still has a lot to figure out. He's still arguing about when and how John's going to die. And Jesus has to tell him, dude, that's not any of your business. Don't worry about it. It's up to me to decide. Still wrangling over the future. Fighting for freedom. But the Lord is going to use Peter in a remarkable way. And he can use you in a remarkable way too. Say, so, well, Brother Jesse, I'm such a failure. Of course you are. Let me affirm you in that. You're right. It feels good to be right, doesn't it? You are a failure. You are a loser. You are a sinner. You get it wrong. All of us do. But that means the only kind of people God ever uses are failures and losers and people that have made mistakes and people that are going to go to heaven with regrets. But people who, when they get there, are going to say, my Savior was better to me than I deserved. And my Savior let me play a small part in a big story that I never should have had any participation in because my Savior loved me and He was not afraid to have breakfast with me even though I am a sinner. Let's stand together today as we prepare for our hymn of invitation. It could be today that you feel like a failure. Really sense your own failures this morning and you need to sense the Lord's forgiveness. I can tell you today that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I can tell you that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You can be forgiven and that if this book is true, you can start fresh. And I can tell you today that if you'll do that, you can pick up where you are and begin to follow him. Why? Because the righteous may fall seven times, but every time they'll get right back up. Because Jesus is still pursuing. And Jesus is still getting down in their mess. Today, I'm going to invite you to turn your eyes to Jesus. As we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to turn your prayers to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to bring your sins, your past, to Jesus and receive from him a new future. If you need him today, this altar's open. Let's sing this great old song together.